Got a taste of the glory last week, right? A little taste of the glory. The glory of God. And again, this is one of those things that is just so hard to put into words. I, I wish it... The, literally, the Bible says you've got to taste and see that God is good. There's no way that any preacher can ever preach it. You've got to taste and see for yourself. You know, I, I, I never craved chocolate until I got a taste of it. You know? I, I love the Easter season because of, yeah. And then, then they went, they done gone, and they put peanut butter and chocolate together. Whew. Yeah. And caramel and chocolate. And it just, yeah, I mean, it just, all good, you know? I, I want all of us, I want everyone to live their lives and to at least get a taste of the glory of God. A taste of his goodness. Because I know, once you get a taste... You're not going to be satisfied. It's just that good. You want more and more. And then you're filled with this inexpressible joy that you're just going to explode. You know what I mean? And then just like chocolate, you're like, oh, this is fun. What else can I get into? And the kingdom of God is limitless. You, you, can, you can never dive fully into the kingdom of God. There's always something new. There's always something fresh. It's just so exciting to be a part of. It's an adventure. And we get to sort of dive into that adventure together because you've tasted some aspects of the kingdom that I haven't. And you get to bring me into those experiences and those encounters. And it's just a beautiful thing that happens. But this morning, we're turning to another aspect of God, another sort of manifold of, of him, another expression of, of who he is. And we're going to be looking at the anointing of God. We talked about the glory last week. This week, we're going to talk about the anointing of God. And I think that we're going to actually talk about this for a few weeks. So we're just dipping our toes into the anointing this morning. This is the dry part. We're going to take a look next week at lives. Literal people's lives who were transformed by the anointing of God. People, we're going to take a look at one guy who was able to carry it well all the days of his life. Doesn't mean he was perfect. Doesn't mean he didn't sin. But he was able to carry the anointing. And we're also going to talk about another guy who received the powerful anointing of God, was radically changed and transformed by him. And then he done gone and lost it. He sacrificed it. He gave it up. We're going to learn from their mistakes and their successes so that we don't have to experience the same, right? Now, whereas, like, the glory of God is very ambiguous, and the way that we receive it and experience the glory of God is different. Everybody's experiences are different. And your experience you had in the glory of God yesterday, it may not be the same as the experience you have in the glory of God today. You know, it's, it's just, it's always different, always new, always fresh. The difference here is that the anointing of God comes with a very intentional purpose to accomplish. Glory of God just is like, woo, fun cloud that we get to have fun in, you know? And the, the anointing of God comes for a purpose. The anointing of God is seen over and over and over again under both the Old and the New Covenants. This is not just, again, just like last week, the glory of God, it's not some new Pentecostal flaky experience that we made up. It was just something that, it, it's, it's part of the presence of God, it always has been, always will be, and forevermore will be. I mean, it just, it's there. It's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's no different with the anointing of God. And we see that when God's anointing comes, it equips and it empowers people to accomplish the will of God, to accomplish his purpose for their lives. Um, and, and for that reason, we often see that the anointing of God comes with the giftings of God. Not always the fruits of the Spirit, but it comes with the gifts of the Spirit. And so our focus is always on the anointing of God upon people. And that's sort of where I'm heading, because that's what I care about, it's what God cares about. But the anointing of God was also for objects, for, for places, for things, um, as we see all through the scriptures as well. Uh, we see that uh, there were objects that were in the tabernacle and the temple that were anointed. They, they literally, when they, they received this anointing oil, you know, they anointed it. And all of that meant is that they were from that point forward, these churchy words, consecrated and holy. They were set apart for a purpose. They're set apart for God. That's literally it. It, it was a wooden spoon that, that we, you know, ate our dinner with yesterday. And now because it's been consecrated and anointed, it's the same wooden spoon, but now we just use it in, in the temple, in, in the tabernacle for his purposes. You know, and it's, it's a cool example of us. We're just common, ordinary people. The only thing that's special about us 
is what God has done in and through our lives. It's the only thing that makes us any different from anyone else out there. Remember, Moses said, show me your glory. How else will people know that I'm any different? Because he knew even this powerful prophet of God, one of the greatest prophets of all time, who led the people of God, he was nothing more than a mere man. He was a murderer. He was on the run. You know, he's loving on what's-his-name's daughters. You know, I mean, just a guy. He needed the presence of God to be anything more. And it's no different with us today. We need the power, the anointing of God to be anything different, to be anything good, to do anything that's worthwhile. We need it. Anointing was a very common practice, going back as far as history is recorded. This is nothing new, nothing special. Um, literally, anointing is just um, oil. We usually use olive oil, and um, a lot of times you mix in some cool incense with it, you know, some fragrance, uh, spices, and herbs and whatnot, you know. Uh, that's, that's why KFC, that's some anointed chicken, because it's got, right? It literally is. It's got the oil, and it's got the seasonings. What is it, 11, I think, you know? It's all that's special about KFC chicken. It's finger-licking good, though, ain't it? Yeah. This is a weird analogy, but you're going to be finger-licking good for the kingdom, right? <laughs> People are going to want some of what you got, you know? It's like, man, man I've had fried chicken, but mm, this is something special. This is something different, right? The anointing is what does it, but the anointing's nothing special. It's just oil that has some stuff thrown in with it, okay? Nothing special in and of itself. To anoint something, it's either poured out over top of something or it's smeared on, you know, it's, it's anointed. It's it, literally, we use that word in a churchy realm, and that's what we're going to focus on, but I want you to understand they're not really churchy about anointing. It's as old as time is, you know, it's something that they did. Um, and it was used in many cultures beyond God's people. Often, um, you would anoint a guest that comes into your home. In fact, we see it happening in the New Testament, um, you, you know, just to kind of honor them, um, you know. If you walk into my house, it's, not, it's a cultural thing. If you walk into my house and I dump the Crisco out and slap it across your face, I don't think you're going to feel special, right? But in some cultures, you felt special. You were honored, you know. <laughs> Anyways, that, these are cultural things. Anointing oil, and it's still today, used for medicinal purposes, especially in church culture. Y'all get your, 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 uh, your essential oils? Essential oils, right? Those are anointed, right? You, you know, if, if you know, an, 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 I'm, sorry, I'm not going to want to make fun of anybody this morning, but if you know someone who's super into essential oils, it, it's like snake oil. It'll cure what ails you. You know, you, you got a foot fungus, they got it. You're feeling down, they got it. You need to go to sleep, they got it. You know, there's an essential oil for everything that ails you in life, and a lot of those things work, let me tell you, right? But even all through culture, essential oils are nothing new. They use them for medicinal purposes, and they do work, you know? It, it's true. Um, uh, shepherds, they would anoint their sheep's head to keep all those pesky and dangerous bugs away from them, right? And if you've ever dealt with, um, with like, fleas at home, you know how bad those things can be, and so they would anoint their animals just to keep the bugs off of them, right? They just they couldn't stay on them with, whenever they're all oiled up. Some cultures would anoint their, uh, their dead, literally dead bodies upon death for obvious purposes, you know? Dead rotten carcass starts to stink, so you anoint it with oil and perfume, and, um, you know, it's not so bad, right? But it was a way to honor, honor and transition people into death. Um, it wasn't something that Jewish people practiced. They, they were kind of like the Amish. They don't embalm their folk. They let them die, and that's it, you know? But, so even though it wasn't a part of Jewish culture, it's kind of cool because we're going to talk about it on Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning. You know, Mary Mary and, and what's her name? We always forget the other girl's name. I wrote it down. Um, Salome. They were, all three of them, they were on their way to anoint the body of Jesus in the tomb. And then the angel's like, uh, he ain't here. Sorry about your luck. I mean, why are you looking for the living among the dead anyways, right? I mean, come on. He told you he's going to raise again. Like, you don't remember all these things? But yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to anoint his body. In fact, they had went out the day beforehand and bought all these spices and perfumes um, to do it. Um, in fact, Jesus said that he was actually anointed for his death before he even died. Remember the woman with the alabaster jar that, that ticked off Judas? Because he's like, dude, that was like a year's worth of money. We could help all kinds of people with that. And I could have patted my own pockets too, right? Judas, remember that encounter? And Jesus is like, don't you dare criticize her. 
Because she's down, she's, she's getting all, I don't know, you know, and first of all, she wasn't that pure of a woman to begin with, and you got a prostitute at the feet of Jesus just, you know, dousing her hair all over his feet, and, and they're like, you know who she is? You, 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 and Jesus is like, don't you dare. This woman is anointing me, preparing me for my death. Like, whew, wow. Anyways. So, all kinds of different purposes. In fact, in Exodus chapter 30, if you ever read this, God gave Moses a special blend to make a special holy anointing oil. It was so unique that God said that if it was made by anyone other than a priest, and if anybody chose to make anything even like it, you were to cut them off from the community. Don't even talk to them no more. You see them in Walmart in aisle three, you go to aisle nine, okay? You don't even talk to them. How dare they make that oil, you know? That's what God said to do. Um, no matter how unique, no matter how special the anointing oil may have been, you know, we buy these special blends here and we anoint people with oil. There's nothing magical, per se, about this oil. It's vegetable oil with some spices in it. It's nothing new. It was used outside of God's people for centuries, okay? But that's what anointing is. It literally is just oil that is uh, spiced in some way. But, as we learned about last week, when the spiritual, when God is in the anointing, when you're anointed, not just by this oil that is nothing, but then the Holy Spirit meets you there, and his anointing comes. There's nothing like it in the world. That is where the power of God manifests. That's when your purposes are released. That is when you are transformed into something different. Everything changes when the natural meets the spiritual, and that spirit is the Holy Spirit. Your life's never the same, and that's the anointing that we're specifically referring to this morning. There's something so awesome about it. Um, God's anointing could heal the sick. That's one of the purposes we use anointing oil for. It's why we keep it out here on the, uh, on the altar area. Because if any of y'all are sick, if any of y'all done gone and sinned, according to James, if the elders of the church lay hands on you, pray with you, and anoint you with oil, you're healed, your sins are forgiven, you're a brand new creation. That's why we do it, because the Bible tells us to. And we just, when you just simply obey what God calls you to do, God will meet you there. God will meet you in your obedience. And then awesome things happen, right? Um, it's also something that Jesus' disciples did. If you check out Mark chapter 6, verse 13, while they were going about healing the sick, they were anointing them with oil. It was just something that they were doing. You know, it's, it was just one of the methods, uh, one of the things that he could do. Um, doesn't mean you have to anoint somebody with oil every single time for them to be healed. They can be healed anytime. God wants to heal them. You can be sitting in your bathtub and get healed. You can be anywhere and get healed, right? Jesus spit in the dirt and rubbed some mud in the guy's eyes, and he got healed, you know? That's a special kind of anointing, right? God's anointing can heal the sick, though. It's that powerful. Um, God's anointing can raise the dead. We'll talk about some power. It doesn't get any more hopeless than a dead person, and yet God's anointing can heal, that raise the dead. Elijah was anointed as a prophet of God and was having a little bit of a bad day. He was dealing with a heavy depression. Have you ever felt that way? Christians can get depressed too. Hello. <laughs> you can suffer with depression. It happens. Elijah was an amazing prophet of God. And yet he was really, really, really having a, a down day. He was having a bit of a pity party, feeling sorry for himself. And this was all happening after one of the greatest displays of God's power and God's anointing and God choosing on Elijah that he ever experienced. It was the, the Mount Carmel showdown between Baal's prophets and, and, and him. I mean, can you imagine the fire of God falling on what you did? And he, man, he went from like cloud nine to like pff, the pits of hell in an instant. I mean, this is what happened. And, and we read about this in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse, and I'm going to read a little bit in verses 13 to 18. He experienced the power of God, the glory of God, in one of the most powerful ways ever recorded in the Bible. And then he gets all sad and depressed, and he runs away for his life. And in verse 13, we, we read about this, um, you know, the whole how God spoke to him, and it was in the quiet, still voice. And the voice said this. The voice of God came, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous 
for you, the Lord God Almighty. But the Israelites, they rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars. They put all your prophets to death with the sword. In fact, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him in verse 15, Go back. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nemishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Melohai to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel... Every single one of them whose knees have never bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have never kissed him. See, he felt all alone. But God broke through that lie. You are never all alone. In fact, he was one of 7,000. So God said, get up, go back to where you came from. You got some work to do. You're going to go so anoint some people. So Jehu and Hazel both received a king's anointing through Elijah. Elisha, we later see, received a prophetic anointing. Now one of the purposes of both of those anointings, the, the kingly anointing, the prophetic anointing, was to carry out the, the wrath of God, the consequences of the people's sin, to deal with the unrepentant, stubborn sin of all those who refused to follow the Lord, who kept turning instead to the false god Baal. Those who kept leading other people to do the same. And you think that's so unfair, not right, that how could God anoint somebody to go and kill somebody else? Just read about Baal worship in the scriptures. Nasty stuff. Nasty stuff that God's people were caught up in. The things that that God Baal required. I mean, you, you think cutting is cool today, you know, or at least in the 90s it was something that, you know, kids did when they got all goth and depressed and everything, you know. I mean, they were cutting themselves back then. It was a spiritual thing, a demonic spirit that was leading to do those things. They, they would sacrifice their children, you know, in the altars of Baal. And there's all kinds of, you know, sexual stuff going on too. And just, it was just leading the people down a really, really bad path. And God was just done with it. He had enough of it. It was time to put it to an end. His people were called to so much more than what they were living for. And so that's what he was going to do. That anointing. Here's the cool thing about the anointing that was given to Elisha. Because before Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, separated from Elisha with this, these horses and this chariot of fire, just an amazing encounter that happened, Elisha was promised a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah did all these mighty feats for, for the Lord and all these impossible things by the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. And Elisha was enabled to do double. Elisha rose one person from the dead, or Elijah rather, a widow's son. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. Elisha also, up to this point, had raised a Shunammite son from the dead. So they each raised one from the dead. Elisha was supposed to have a double portion. He did a double of everything else that Elijah did. He only raised one from the dead, and then he himself died. But you know what I love about the word of God? It never fails. God's word and God's promises are always yes and amen. Never once do they fail. Elisha asked for and received a double portion. And this just wasn't fair. One raised from the dead? I mean, I'll take it. I'll gladly take raising one person from the dead. I've done tried it, and I got a zero success rate. I'm batting nothing, you know. But um, so be careful if you have me do your funeral service, and I think you died too early. Okay, there's gonna be some shouting, and we're gonna try to do some raising. Yeah, woo! So don't you go dying on me now, you hear? Um, it just wasn't fair. So this is what happened. We sing about it very often, you know. But this is just so cool when it happened. Um, so we read about this here, First Kings chapter. 13 verses 20 to 21 so it says in verse 20 this wonderful encouraging news elisha died and was buried 
end of story. It says, now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some of the Israelites were burying a man, they suddenly saw a band of raiders. And so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, that man came to life and stood up on his feet. Then the verses just continue on like nothing special happened. And I'm like, wait a second. One little simple verse in the Bible. A double portion, even in his death. But the anointing of God was so powerful on Elisha that even his dead, dry bones were anointed and raised the dead to life. How cool is that? I want that kind of anointing. And it's nothing about me. And it was nothing about Elisha. It's just that when people encountered it, resurrection took place. Dead men rose again to life. The abundance of life. True life. The anointing of God is essentially the power of his presence. It is the spirit of God. Where the anointing of God is, his spirit is. It is just a spiritual anointing. And where the spirit of the Lord is, whew, there's all kinds of good stuff, right? There's freedom, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's healing, there's life and life abundant. There's the fullness of his salvation. That's what the anointing of God brings. The fullness of his salvation here and now where you can appreciate it. Nobody cares about healing whenever you get your new glorious body in heaven. No one cares about a prophetic word when you already know everything in heaven. That's when the spiritual gifts pass away. There is coming an end to spiritual gifts. Hasn't happened already, because this place ain't perfect, right? That's, that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. When, perfect, when perfection comes, you're gonna, you don't need it. Everything the spiritual gifts do is already done, so you don't need them. But here and now... Oh, do we need them? We're desperate for them. We need the anointing of God. It is an increased, unique, special portion of God's presence in your life. It is a unique empowerment that the Spirit gives you when you have this anointing of God to do something. And we're going to take a look at this next week, but I just have to share this part about an anointing and what it looks like. This guy... Saul, we read about him in 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 5. But here Samuel just physically poured out anointing oil over Saul. And this anointing, again, was a kingly anointing. He anointed him as the next king, not the next king, the first king over God's people. Okay, let me be theologically correct. He was the second king. He was the next king. Everybody know who the first king of Israel was? Little challenge and trivia was God himself God said they rejected me as king they want to be like all the other people they want a human king so here you go here he is and this dude was he was ripped stood a, a head taller than all the other people handsomest guy you know I mean he he was just a king of kings right at least people thought so so he anointed him and Samuel gave him this prophetic word okay Prophecy happened in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And man, did he read this guy's mail. It's awesome. He said in verse 5, okay, so he anointed him with oil, and he said, When you arrive at Gebeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from a place of worship. They'll be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. That's still what the Spirit of God and the anointing of God does today. So in verse 9, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. Because that's always where the Spirit's transformation starts inward before it is ever seen outward religion says put on a good face a good churchy face say churchy things and do churchy things and don't do worldly things the spirit of god says you do whatever you want i'm going to transform you from the inside out i'm going to change your desires so you're not even going to want to do those things anymore isn't that what we need you want to get free in life Ask the Spirit of God to take that temptation away, not the temptation, but to, add, take that, to satisfy that desire with his things, right? He'll do it. So God gave him a new heart, 
And all of Samuel's sons were fulfilled in that day. When Saul and his servant returned to Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets that were walking toward them. And then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. And he too began to prophesy. And when everybody who knew Saul heard about this, they're like, what? <laughs> Don't you want to have a life like that? When everybody in this community knows you and they hear about this new you, you're like, what? Who, who are you talking about? No way. <laughs> I know them. No way. No way are they out there doing that. But it's happening, right? They said, who? What is happening? Can, can anyone become a prophet no matter who his daddy is? <laughs> Whew. When you've been adopted into a new family, you've been adopted and now your daddy is the heavenly father, there's nothing impossible for you. Be a prophet. Be a prophetess. Walk in the anointing. Walk in the power of God. You can and you will. And so that is the origin of the new saying. Apparently that's a, 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 sort of a, a sarcastic saying, you know, in that day. Is even Saul prophet? So whenever they encountered something that was just unbelievable, they're like, is even Saul prophet? Right? But he was and he did. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit and the anointing. Not the anointing that was on Saul. He received a kingly anointing. But there was this here band of prophets. They're literally a band. They're playing. <laughs> I love this. You know it's a good church service. Whenever you're worshiping and you're worshiping, you're just lost, you're just wasted in the spirit. And you leave that place and you're still worshiping. I mean, they're walking away from that worship service and they're still playing. They got the tambourine going and the lyre and, and they're prophesying everywhere they go because they just can't stop and it's just that good and they just want more, right? And the next thing you know, Saul comes along with his prophet and he starts prophesying. Never did he receive a prophetic anointing, but because the anointing was on that band of prophets and it was so heavy and so rich because they just came out of this worship service, he started prophesying right along with them. I'm sorry. This is more exciting than I think. It's, it's cool. It's, yeah. Never again in the word of God is it ever recorded that Saul gave a prophecy. Never again. He was king, but never again did he prophesy. Why? Because he was just in that anointing. He was just under that covering. That, that anointing was there. And it's fun. It's fun when you start hanging out with somebody who has an anointing, and next thing you know, you just, you just start doing it too. It's, it's, it's influential. The Spirit of God, the presence of God is influential. If your co-workers grumbling and complaining can influence you to start grumbling and complaining, think about how powerful it is when the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on somebody and how that can transform your life so that you start speaking words of encouragement that build up and don't tear down, right? It's awesome. And here's the interesting part about this account, right? He never did it again. It was just that anointing that was there. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 and 34. He said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So come back to your senses as you ought to. Stop sinning. For there are some people who are just ignorant of God. And I'm saying this to your shame. See, done tearing them up. You gotta stop hanging out around those people. Look what they're doing to you. They got you sinning. Just stop it. <laughs> right? Just stop doing it. Bad company corrupts good character. And we all know this and we quote this and we understand this. But again, you can look at this word from the world's perspective. And you can hide in your cave and not go around anybody out there in the world because they might mislead you and cause you to sin. Or look at the flip side of this. Look at the flip side of this saying, the same reality. If bad company may corrupt, then anointed company, right, can inspire and impart great things. Use that influence for good. Get around some bullies that bully you into good things, right? That, that just like Paul said, just stop sinning. Just get in the glory. Get into the presence of God. You won't want that stuff anymore. Get around some good company. Get around that company of prophets, right? 
I'm sure Saul, like, several times is probably like, oh, man, i got to find those guys. i got to hang out with them again. I miss that. That was awesome, you know? Yeah, if, you, if you go to some of these, like, big conferences where you've got anointed people, and there's nothing like it in the world, you know? You just want to stay there. And there are some people that that's what they do. They just kind of become groupies, and they follow that anointing wherever they go. I've got better news for you. Don't be a groupie. Find out what your anointing is. You get you some of God's anointing because he has a purpose for you. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. And he wants to pour out a unique, special anointing on you so that you can do something no one else can do by his empowerment. And we always spiritualize these things. You know what the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit was for? It was for the building of the tabernacle. The spiritual gifts that were imparted by the Holy Spirit on this man was woodworking and weaving and tapestry and, and, and doing some blacksmithing. Those things were spiritual gifts that were imparted by the anointing of God. Whatever God has anointed you, move in it. You're going to bless other people by it. And whenever they come under that anointing, they're going to be able to do it too. So whatever it is, walk in it. Invite people into it. Invite them to be a part of that, that your company. Just your company. When you're in the anointing, it releases things. People start to see things they'd never seen before, right? They'll be able to do things they never thought they could ever do before. You have it. So use it for the Lord. Whether it's here in these four walls or whether it's an anointing for something else out in the world, use it. You know where the bulk of the, the, the Bible was written? Where the bulk of the works of the Spirit happened? It wasn't the tabernacle it was out in the streets that's where the power of god was happening at least it's stuff that was important enough to record in the bible right so walk in that anointing whatever you got and let other people rise up within it as well impart that to them if saul's life was transformed by the spirit of god coming powerfully upon him when he was around that band of prophets how much greater is the influence of you and others who are anointed and filled with the holy spirit the Spirit isn't just on you, it's in you. You are anointed. Figure out what your special anointing is. This influence and impartation is not just a New Testament concept either. I mean, it happened over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But I, I look at I look in the New Testament too, because God's the same. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I love it when you see the same things are happening in the Old Testament in the New Testament. In fact, whenever Jesus quoted the Word of God, he was quoting the Old Testament. He said, this is what's happening. This is what's supposed to be happening all the time. It's the word. When it comes to life, it's what it does. It transforms people. So here we see in the New Testament, there's this angelic visitation with this Italian dude named Cornelius. He was a centurion. And this vision at the same time that Peter had. And he was a Jew who wasn't allowed to be around these Italian dudes. He, he wasn't allowed to be around Gentiles. They were the scum of the earth. He was so much better than them. Wasn't allowed to be around them and do the things that they did. But God's like, mm-mm-mm. No, <laughs> you have an anointing. They need this anointing. They're not the bad dudes that you think they are. They're not going to cause you to sin. What did we learn about last week in the Ezekiel's temple? You're going to transmit holiness to them. Your influence is going to trump their influence. And so, like, God comes to Peter, and I always quote this first day of hunting. God's, he shows him all these animals he's not even allowed to touch, let alone eat. And this voice from heaven says, go, kill, eat. <laughs> and so I take that anointing every hunting season, you know. I go, I kill, and we have some pretty good dinner. I still got some, some venison in the, uh, in the freezer, right? Yeah, good stuff. So Peter's like, okay, you're messing with my head. I don't understand this. This is wrong, but you say it's right. <laughs> like the song we just sang, if you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say to leave, then, then I'll go, you know. It's... it's I, let the spirit mess with your head. Some of those things you stopped doing because you thought they were bad might be the very things that God wanted you to be there to do. But now you've got an anointing. Now you've got an empowerment that you didn't have before. Maybe those places you left are the very same places you're getting called back to. What did, what did, what did God just tell Elijah? They're trying to kill me. I'm running away. And God said, uh-uh-uh, get back here. Get back here, boy. I got some stuff for you to do, Right? Chase the spirit. I'm not saying you gotta, but I'm just saying there might be something to that. Okay, so Acts chapter 10, verse 38. So, 
Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He's talking to these Italian dudes and his whole family and all of his servants and everything. And he goes begrudgingly. I don't care if you're doing it begrudgingly. If you just do what the Lord asks you to do, something's going to happen and it's going to be good. It is going to break up your heart. And so Peter, he goes and he starts sharing the word of God with these Gentiles, the scum of the earth that he didn't want anything to do with. And they're just nasty. And he's probably cringing the whole time he's there. And he says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then, after Jesus was anointed, he went around doing good. He went around healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And as Peter's sharing this, God gets so excited, despite Peter's nasty attitude, God is so excited, he's like, okay, I've had enough, I can't hold back anymore. Boom! In verse 44, even while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening. The Jewish believers who came with Peter, they were amazed. They were in shock. They were in awe that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. And how did they know that the Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles? The same way you always know someone's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Right here in verse 46. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Woo! Good old church service was happening up in Cornelius' house, wasn't it? And like us, I, I say this all the time whenever God does something. You know, I, I received a, um, a, you know, follow-up uh, testimonies from Doreen. She said her knee has not hurt all week long after being prayed for. You know, I don't know about Joe's toe, but Nate, his ear, it, it's, it, it was open that day, and it didn't fill back up with infection after that. I mean, healings took place last week. Just so awesome, so exciting. I love it. Um, why he healed some of others? I don't know. I'm not God, you know. I keep asking him, and he ain't telling me, but he's going to reveal that secret someday so that everybody's healed who comes, right? We'll get there. Till then, we'll have fun with what we got, and we'll be faithful with what we got, right? I'll, I'll take a healed ear and a healed knee. I mean, come on, you know, it's fun. It's exciting. Well, we're simply obedient to do what God calls us to do. It doesn't mean you're going to be a sinless person and a holy person and you got all your stuff together. If you just do what God calls you to do, the way that Samuel did in the Old Testament, the way that Saul did, he had to choose to walk that way. He had to choose to do those things, right? Peter, he had to choose to do what he didn't want to do. Cornelius, he had to reach out and do something that he didn't necessarily want to do. He knew how Peter felt about him, but you know, think about all these things. It, 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 every miraculous work of God took the cooperation of man. We have to do something. That's why there's nothing special about this. But when I apply it, when God says to apply it, something special happens because I'm doing it in obedience. That is where the Spirit of God meets earth and meets our flesh and meets this natural self. And the supernatural takes place. Signs, wonders, miracles. It's when common people do what God calls them to do. And then the anointing comes. And that's when the impossible becomes a reality. People like Elijah, people like Elisha, the countless other people. The anointing of God comes to empower us to fulfill God's purposes. It operates much like the physical anointing, right? Because for me to get anointed by that, what do I got to do, right? I, I can't pour this on myself, right? I can't pour out the anointing on my life unless I humble myself and get under it. It's the only way. I got to be under the anointing. It, 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 I don't get anointed if I trample on it, right? Some of us want, we say with our words, we want a powerful move of God. But when the Spirit's moving among us, we're like, okay, that's weird. I don't want anything to do with that. We don't choose to come under it and to receive it, right? His spiritual anointing operates the same as a physical anointing. We've got to come under it. We have to willingly receive it. If I come and dump oil on you because I feel like God's telling me to and you don't want it, I might just get punched. I might get my lights knocked out, right? 
We talked about our training last week. Always ask permission before you do anything first, okay? <laughs> we want people knocked out under the power of God, not of someone's fist, you know? <laughs> ask permission. And I'm telling you, I've had countless, countless times. I just had a, a situation at Dollar General River Shalakta the other day where I prayed for a guy. Um, he, was, he was having a fun time. I could tell. It was his first time out with these little kids. And, and I remember having three in diapers all at the same time. It was not fun. And his wife had just given birth, and she was having um, uh, issues with her kidneys. So she's pretty much bedridden, and she just gave birth. And, like, so he's handling all these kids, and he still has to work. And, it's, you know, man, struggle is real in life. And, and I, I mean, it wasn't a spiritual revelation. The dude was struggling, you know. You know how it is. Kids, kid, Dad, I want this, I want this, I want this, you know. They weren't misbehaving. They're just being kids, you know. And he wasn't really even getting stressed out. He's like, no, sweet. But you could tell it was really wearing on him, you know? I mean, it was, it was kind of cute and funny because it's like, I just remember that, you know? And, and so, you know, we just started talking and he had shared about that. And so I asked, you know, if I could pray with him right then there for his wife. And I don't know what the Lord did. Hopefully he did heal her up, you know? Um, I'm trusting that he did. But I've only had like one or two times out of probably hundreds that I've asked someone, can I pray for you? And they said, no. The one guy didn't want it because he, he wanted to keep his, uh, his uh, uh, SSI, you know, it was a really funny story. But, you know, people, we would be surprised. I see more of a willingness out there in the world because they just want help <laughs> and nothing's working. And so, hey, pray for me. I don't care. What's it going to hurt? You know, people are so willing to receive out there. More willing out in the world than they are in the church. We're so resistant and hesitant. Have some fun with that anointing. People won't reject it the way that we think that they will. Try it. And let me encourage you in this. If you feel like the Spirit's leading you to do it, He's already prepared that person. They're, they're probably not going to turn you away, and they're probably okay with whatever flaky thing's going to happen. They just, they just want healed, or they just want delivered, they just want provided for, they just, they just want the problems to go away. They'll do whatever it takes, you know? Why not let God have that opportunity to take care of their problems and to show Himself powerful and strong? To show his love for them. That he does care about what they're going through. He cares about them so much that he would call a stranger to be bold enough to come up to them and to ask them about the problems they got going on. Trust me, it'll bless somebody. Even if they just feel cared about. It'll bless them. Be bold. Be courageous. That's what we learned the, the glory of God does last week, right? It makes us bold. Very bold. Very courageous. Because the kingdom of God's here, and it wants to do some exploits through you. We've got to humble ourselves. We have to be willing. Here's the spiritual truth. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's an awesome doctrine to hang your hat on. God will not call you to do something and then revoke it and be like, man, screwed up, nah, not yours anymore. I mean, he will also allow someone else to do what you missed, <laughs> Someone else might get called because you missed it. But God doesn't give you another opportunity to fulfill that calling. He gives you a lifetime of opportunities to fulfill your purpose in life. Lifetime of opportunity. He won't give you a spiritual... I remember, I, I don't think anyone knows him. You know, tuck this guy in jail. He didn't understand because he still had the gifts of the Spirit. He could still speak in tongues. He still felt the power of God in his life. But he's sitting in jail. <laughs> he'd screwed up. Because so often, and we're going to talk about this next week, we confuse the anointing of God, the call of God, the gifts of God for character and for the fruits of the Spirit. They don't come hand in hand. I can give Nate, you know, my, my 12 gauge when, when he's eight years old and just tell him, go have fun with it. I give him a gift. <laughs> Is it... Is it going to be good? No. Because it didn't come with maturity. It didn't come with training. It didn't come with knowledge. It was just a gift. You can receive the gifts of the Spirit and move powerfully under the power of God and not have the fruits of the Spirit and the character and the maturity that you need to use that gift well, to use that gift for its intent. That's next week's sermon. So anyways, we're going to learn how to do that. So they're irrevocable, but God's anointing, God's anointing can be given and taken away. God's anointing can increase and decrease in your life, much like the glory of God. It faded on Moses' face, right? 
You can receive an increase of anointing, and God can pull back, or rather you pull back, but that's another topic for next week. This is what the Word of God says. Back to the Word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 to 28. John wrote this, and he said, As for you, and I want you to apply it to yourself this morning, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Who is responsible that the things of God remain in you? You! If you want to see who's to blame for your sin, go look in the mirror, okay? You made your choices. You had a way out. God didn't overtake you with that temptation. The only one that's responsible for your boneheadedness is you. Doesn't matter what everyone else did to you. You chose to respond to what they did. I know it hurts. Ouch. As for you, see that what you heard from the beginning rain remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. It's so easy to hear a sermon and to walk away from it and forget everything you heard, everything that God was speaking. See that it doesn't happen to you. Remain in it. He goes on in verse 26, I'm writing these things to you. About those who are trying to lead you astray. Because there are people that don't want you to walk in the anointing of God. There are people that don't want you to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. There's churches right here in this community that will tell you, gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. Speaking in tongues, that's demonic. You know? I don't know about you, but I, I used to be a corn kid, you know? I mean, I listen to corn and slipknot, and I go to their concerts, and he's up there, oh, he's, he's speaking in his demonic tongues, and everyone's like, yeah, I'm moshing in that pit, you know? And everyone loves it, and you hear tongues in the church, and you're like, ew, I don't want anything to do with that. What, why? What? What happened here? Why is it okay in the world not okay? Like, it's what, what the Word of God says. It's right there. How can you say that this went away, but this didn't go away when it's right there? In fact, the same scripture that they use, where Paul says, once the perfect come, the gifts of the Spirit cease. Right after that, he said, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I wish all of you would prophesy. He, he says, I wish all you would do it. Why, why would he wish that people did it if it done gone away? Like, it just makes no sense. And just anyways, it hasn't gone away. It's for today, because it's needed today. We need healing today, because I see sickness and disease everywhere. We need hope today, because I see all kinds of hopelessness out there. We need the strength and the empowerment of God and the faith of God, because this world is so tough. We need them desperately, every gift of the Spirit. We need the anointing of God, but some people try to lead us astray from it. As we said in verse 26 and verse 27, he said, But as for you, the anointing that you received from Jesus remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing's for real, not counterfeit. Guess what he just taught you there in a backwards way? There's some counterfeit anointings out there, aren't there? There's some people that are full of themselves or walking under a demonic anointing, and they can do things. You read about it in the Old Testament. You read about it in the New Testament. Some people were able to do some things, right? And we're like, oh, that's not for today. Well, I know my wife's been invited to some of those spiritual readings, right? Where they'll, they'll tell you, you know, you're, you're, they'll give you prophetic words, but they're doing it not under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but the anointing of another spirit. And it's just really interesting, right? I don't know. Anyways, there's a counterfeit anointing out there. But we want that for real anointing. I love that John calls it that. That anointing is for real, not a counterfeit. And just as it has taught you, remain in it. And now, dear children, continue in Jesus so that when he appears, we might be confident. And Nate, stand up. Unashamed, right? Romans 1.1.6, unashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Unashamed before Jesus at his coming. Verse 28. John wrote a warning to believers to be cautious of people that were trying to lead them astray and to remain connected to Jesus and under his anointing. They were encouraged to learn from that anointing of God, not to listen to the teachers of those who were trying to draw them away from Jesus. He wasn't telling them they didn't need any teaching because they had the anointing. You still need teaching. There's still things out there. As long as you don't know everything, you need teaching, right? Now let's just apply just good thinking to that. As long as there's something out there to learn, 
I need taught. I don't know everything yet. But he was warning them against false teachers that were trying to lead them astray. You've got an anointing. Follow what the anointing of the Spirit is telling you. Follow teachings that agree with what the Spirit is showing you. Because it was the Spirit that wrote all this stuff. <laughs> that same author that wrote all these words is in me. So you can know. It'll bear with your spirit what's right and what's wrong. No matter how much scripture they quote is in agreement with what he's really saying. They were encouraged to learn from that anointing, not to listen to all those other people. And that still warning applies to us today. And I'm finishing up here. John wrote a warning to believers to stay in the anointing. John wrote and taught them that it was the anointing that was on Jesus that empowered him to do good and to bring healing. It wasn't his flesh. He lived in the same flesh we do. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on Jesus that enabled him to do all the good works that he did. And then Jesus said, and he prayed for us believers in John chapter 17, then he went and he said this really bold thing. He said, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we will be able to do all the things that Jesus did, and then Jesus said this, and even greater things. I can't imagine doing greater things than Jesus. But Jesus said you'd do it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we will do it, right? What he said is true. The anointing of God is so incredible, and it's such a critical key to living the Spirit-empowered life where I follow the Spirit of God and not my flesh, where I say, Spirit, lead me. If you say it's wrong, I'm going to say no. If you say to dive in, then I'm letting go. It's the anointing of God that empowers you to live that life. It is so powerful that Jesus began his ministry by going back to where he came from, his own hometown. He went there on Jesus Day is what I call it in our house, you know. It was Saturday in their culture, the Sabbath day. He sat down in that good old church service in the uh, tabernacle. And then partway through the service, this isn't a New Testament church thing. That's why we don't give you a little bulletin so you know everything that's going to happen and everything that you say and everything that you do and everything. We just, whatever the Spirit says to do, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> that's the way the tabernacle actually operated in the beginning. People were free to stand up and to share. Imagine, whoa! In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, people were just... So Jesus stood up. Good old homeboy Jesus, Joseph's son. And he's like, since they didn't have their Bibles, printing press hadn't been invented yet. He's like, can I have the scroll of Isaiah? And he read one of my favorite scriptures. And he quoted from Isaiah chapter 61. And we read this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. So he opened up the scroll and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. To bring good news to the poor. That's capital G, capital N, by the way. What is good news? <laughs> None other than Jesus. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll and he said, Today... This has been fulfilled in your presence. Speaking of himself. And then they drove him to a cliff and tried to kill him. So anyways. <laughs> but you know, you know what the anointing of God enabled him to do? I can't imagine this. There's this mob of people trying to kill him. And he's at this cliff. And what is the, the spiritual anointing he enabled Jesus to do? I don't know how this happened. That was a cloak of invisibility or what. But he walked through the crowd and left. And then he went out and he did everything everything that Isaiah prophesied he would do. Don't let what people think of you hold you back. Because they're like, who is this? This is Joseph's kid. He's one of us. We grew up with him. There's nothing special about him. But the anointing changed everything about Jesus. The anointing enabled and equipped Jesus to do the impossible, to make this supernatural, just a natural everyday act. And that same anointing that Isaiah prophesied that was poured out into the life of Jesus, that same anointing is on you as well. 
You have been anointed to bring good news to the poor. You have been anointed to proclaim the captives released. You have been anointed that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free, that God's favor is here. You get to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is right here. You don't have to kick the bucket to see it. It's here now. Let's taste and see, because it's good. Right? Woo. Yes, so right now, right now, let's seek after an anointing of God. God won't force you to receive anything. He will never force you to receive anything. But if you ask him to anoint you, or if you ask him to reveal to you your purpose for life, he'll share it. He'll show it. He will take you into it. Let him take you this morning into that secret place. Just you and him. Let his anointing flow. In Psalm 133, we, we quoted it earlier about how good and pleasant it is. Whenever, oh, sorry. I thought another slide in there. Whenever God's people live together in unity, this is what he says in verse 2. It's like the precious anointed oil that is poured on the head that runs down the beard. Becky convinced me to cut this thing short so it's not as fun this morning. Beard. <laughs> Thank you. That runs down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We focus on the unity of God's people. But guess what else brings the blessing of God? The anointing of God that flows over your head, down your beard if you got one. Guys and ladies alike, I've seen it. <laughs> down your... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not yet, Lord. Not yet, Lord. Let the anointing of God flow over your life. Stop resisting it because you're afraid of something. And just receive it. This is a new song this morning. You probably don't know it. Probably never heard it before. You don't have to sing along. But just open your heart. Open your mind to what God wants to do. He wants to give a powerful anointing to you. To do what only you can do. Such a powerful anointing that as long as you remain under it, whew, your influence over people will be great. And they will receive it as well. Oh, Jesus. We see what the anointing allowed you to do bringing the kingdom of God to those who needed it most. Going out there to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the drunk, to the, those who are bound by a multitude of demons. You went out to every person where no one else would go because you carried the anointing to break the yoke of the enemy, to set those captives free so that they could receive an abundant life. So Jesus, we ask you this morning, pour out over our lives that Isaiah 61 anointing. We need it, because we can't do anything right on our own. We keep screwing up as hard as we try. But your anointing, Lord, we know the power whew, that it has. Anoint us afresh I knew this morning. We just cast off that old nasty wineskin that our brain is trapped inside of, that our heart is trapped inside of, and we pray you give us a new wineskin, Lord. Pour out fresh oil of anointing. Let your fresh wine flow from our lives to refresh us, to encourage us, Lord, to do everything that you plan to do in our lives in your name. During the worship uh, at the beginning of the service, I couldn't figure out why I kept smelling his, the anointing oil. I just kept smelling it. The fragrance was there. <laughs> the fragrance was there. And it's like what my friends and I always call it is daddy's, uh, daddy's aftershave. You know, that's all I could. You know, it's, but what he said to me is that you're, he wants to encourage you. And your worship is like a sweet, sweet incense to him. He is bringing down his Holy Spirit, his anointing. 
as a sweet, sweet incense to us, you know? So it, it goes both ways. And, and so he wants you to know he sees your worship and it's a sweet, sweet incense to him. Amen. Amen. Well, as we go out from here, don't forget what you have just learned. Let it rise up and grow in your life. My prayer all this week has been for each one of us to experience the anointing of God and, to, and for each one of you to have a, a special revelation, whether it be a word, a vision, or whether you're just doing it and you realize this is my anointing. This is my purpose. This is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. I pray that that anointing would fall so heavily in that area of your life that you would just be overwhelmed. Those areas of your life that you don't even have to try because the anointing does it for you. Have fun exploring life and figuring out what that is. Amen? Amen. Be blessed this week.